Yes, they work for me, but I try to work for them at the same time. I just try and make the job easier for them, as easy as as I can for them. I, I always listen to their input. Like, I, I just don't treat them like another number. Daniel Sister. Yeah. From Boba Furniture and Joinery. Cool. Thanks for coming in. It's all right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, tell the people what you do. So you run a, from what I see on Instagram, a high-end architectural joinery shop, a lot yep. of timbers, veneers. Yep. That seems like your niche. Well, originally I was a furniture manufacturer. I started with my dad. It was my dad's business. He started it up back late 1970s, just doing furniture. So we did more reproduction style, mahogany furniture, all French polished, uh, a lot of upholstery. We, we did the works and then late 90s, early 2000s, you know, you got your IKEA, domains, free trade agreements, everything starts coming in from overseas. Furniture manufacturing started to slow down a lot in Australia. Um, so we went from like 30 staff down to uh, when I started my apprenticeship, maybe 10. I started my apprenticeship when I left school. I was forced into it because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Still there now. <laughs> but then um, GFC hit. It was just Dad and I around 2008. Dad got to the point where he was just kind of, I guess, lost the drive a little bit because business wasn't doing the greatest. He had a couple of showrooms. That style of furniture wasn't selling. And he just didn't know what to do. And he basically said to me, look, I'm going to sell the business. And I said, just give me a crack. I'll try and bring it back up to what it was. How old were you at that time? I was 28. Mm. But I was also DJing full time. Mm. So he was like, go DJ. Don't worry about the business. But I was like, I can't DJ the rest of my life. It's not a healthy lifestyle. Like it's just, it was fun, but it's, it's not healthy. And I was at Red Bull at the time as well, DJing for Red Bull. So I was traveling a lot. So I was like, I'd take a week off here, week off there. And then I just, it was playing a lot of my mind. And then I said to dad, look, just give me a crack. I'll see what I can do. I just, just kept pushing, pushing, pushing and thought to myself, all right, where can I take these furniture making skills and grow it? So I, I, I thought the joinery industry. So I started reaching out to builders that I knew, um, anyone in the industry who would might want a kitchen, might want a vanity, a wardrobe. So I started just doing your standard little kitchens and stuff, whiteboard, melamine stuff. And then I, I was getting bored because I've come from furniture. So then in my mind, I, I thought, how, where am I going to be able to find the right builders, clientele, designers? to be able to do the work that I love. So I just started reaching out to interior designers, builders, anyone that would want that more traditional style timber work. And um, I just kept pushing, man. Just mm. kept pushing until I found the right people who wanted what we do. What do you think keeps high-end architectural joinery alive in Australia? You know, in a, in, in a world, as you say, that's quickly moving toward mass production, quickly moving toward fast fashion, fast food. Um, what what keeps us alive? Where's that demand coming from? People want quality. They want that look. They want that warmth. They want that timber. They want something that's going to last a lifetime. 
they um there's there's a lot of people out there that they want that traditional detail. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of money, and that that's what they want. They see it over in America. They see it in Europe. And they want it here. And it's just finding that clientele who have got the money and got the taste and got the eye for it to want it. I think that's the biggest thing. So, do you, how much of what you're creating then for these clientele, this clientele that you're talking about, how much of it? Put it down to a percentage. Mm. How much of it is the experience of getting something exclusive and something that can't just be obtained through money? You have to work through the design. You have to procure it. You have to. There's, there's that. There's that romance to it. Mm. And how much of it is just straight up because you can build really cool shit? Like, what's <laughs> what's that proportion? You think <clears throat> client experience versus product? Oh man, it's hard to say because I don't design a lot of the stuff that I do. But they have to go through the architect and go through that That's almost right. tumultuous process. That's right. And that process could take a year, you know. Um, mm. all, all, all we're doing to a certain extent is bringing, like bringing what they're, they're drawing to reality. So we're bringing their dream to reality, basically. That's what we're doing. You know what it is. Like they come to you with a drawing, we're bringing it to life. Like everyone in our industry says, oh, designers come to us, to us with these crazy ideas and, it's like, how are we going to build that? But I just try and make it happen. Mm. So I think, yeah, it's a dream to build all that type of stuff. I love building it. Um, I'd say maybe 20% of it would be them and then 80% would be us because if you can't find someone to build it, it's not going to happen. Mm. And someone who's got the patience and the eye and I, I guess the skill set to do it. Because there, there, you know, there's le there's levels to working with certain timbers, veneers, the polishing, all that type of thing. Anyone can put something together, but it's the way you finish it. There's definitely levels to it. Yeah, and so the joinery business made a lot more sense to you than sort of made a lot more sense in the market than the uh, custom furniture business. Is that just because of the scale of the packages? Do you think definitely? Like um. A $5,000 sideboard is fantastic. Yeah. A $15,000 sideboard is fantastic. That's right. But any odd laundry is 15 grand, if not 25 from the jobs that we're doing. That's right. But I would rather build a $15,000 sideboard than a $15,000 laundry. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Of course. That's right. Because look, look how, much, how much time do you spend on an install? Mm. Like, it could be half a day. It could be two days. You don't know what you're coming up against sometimes. And- if you scratch something, installing it, you got, you know, there's so many different variables on the install. Whereas if you're going to build something that's freestanding, all you can do is deliver it and put it in place. And so then you're saying both from a ro romance standpoint and a business standpoint, building that sideboard makes more sense for you and your skill set. That's right. Yeah. It's just finding the right clientele <clears throat> and the right designers, the right people who want it. Because I can build a sideboard for $15,000, but you can get it at Ikea or Domain for $2,000. Mm. And it's just finding the right person to justify to them why this costs that and this costs this. So speak. So speaking about installation, I saw that on your your hiring tradesman and on your job ad, you say that you want tradesmen who and the split of the work is roughly fifty percent in the shed and fifty percent on site. Yep. Is that uh, across the board what you like to have with your tradesmen? Yeah. So whoever generally whoever builds it in the factory goes and installs it. And I, they like that too because they get to see the finished product. They spend all this time, blood, sweat, and tears in the factory. They want to see what it looks like at the end. They know how it goes together. 
you know, I, I think it's good for them as well. Instead of having them build it and someone else install it, they, the guy install it gets to take all the joy at the end of the day. So in general, is, is that what they prefer as well? In general, or I'm sure some guys like the factory more. Some guys, yeah, you're right. Some guys yeah. do like factory. I had an apprentice resign at the start of the year mm. because he didn't want to do site work. He just wanted to work in the factory. <laughs> <laughs> well, the toilets, the the toilets in the shed are nicer than at the, than on site. I agree. I agree. So that's a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, I, I I guess yeah, finding the right tradesman who is happy doing both and who i mean i i guess i try and find tradesmen who aren't just in it for the money they're in it also for the passion because they want to see the finished product they love what they do they love the craftsmanship they love working with the timber they, they, like i try and find guys that are passionate about what they do i've yeah. had a lot of guys come in that just want to work hourly rate as much as they can get they don't give a shit as soon as 3 30 comes you're going home well more importantly because I know you, that's the type of people you look for. Mm. But more importantly, how do you inspire them and push them to that next level? Because by default, mm. we, too many employees just, just, and it might be an Australian cultural thing. Mm -hmm. It's just, if you're a blue collar worker, you're, you don't give a shit. You're financially irresponsible. You don't care about your future. And you, you just want to do your eight hours and go home and drink beers and that's it. Yeah. So I think, so. I'm sure you don't approach it with that mindset. No. But how do you like? How do you inspire these guys and get sort of get the best out of them? Um. One, I'm not an asshole. Really? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I know a lot of bosses out there that are, but I get told mm. by my guys all the time that um, sometimes I can be too soft because You're I. You're nice. I, I'm too nice sometimes. I am. I, I'm a nice guy. I, I try and let – I basically – yes, they work for me, but I try and work for them at the same time. I just try and make the job easier for them, as easy as as I can for them. I always listen to their input. Like I I just don't treat them like another number. You know, everyone has their role. Um, inspiring, that, that's a tough one because I, I kind of think – They've got to have a passion for what they do and be inspired for the type of work that they do before they come and work for me. It's, I've had guys that work for me before. I try and inspire them, but you can only, if someone doesn't want to be there, they don't want to be there for one reason. That, that's their mindset. You can't train everybody to be the same way. Some people want to be a robot and just be told what to do. Some people want to work because they love what they do. Um, I mean, I look after my guys. I get them beers every Friday afternoon. I take them to the pub every couple of months you know we do big christmas parties in the year i'll take them go-karting you know as, as far as the cultural side of things i'll mm. look after as much as i can um but yeah and so then the the big question then because mm. to balance all that is how do you make sure you're not creating entitlement because mm. if you you're too nice and they're gonna fucking get it twisted yeah they're gonna they're, they're gonna get it confused all of a sudden one yep. day yeah you're right so how so, and I'm sure that's happened the, has, way, the way you're looking at me. I know yeah. it's happened. <laughs> so how do you, is it, it, I'd like, it's, I mean, it's not a straightforward, straightforward answer, but it's mm. something to balance, right? Yeah. Um, look, I have had guys that are a little bit entitled. If I need to raise my voice, I do. But I guess, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been pretty lucky. They've, all my guys generally have a pretty good respect for me. And um, if I do get to a point where I need to put my foot down or, 
you know, they they listen. So you set boundaries. I do set, of course. Yeah. Um, I don't outside of work. None of them follow me on social media. You know, I still have that work. You know, I'm the boss. You're my worker. I will go to a barbecue with them or something, but I do keep the boundaries where my outside life is my outside life. You know, I am your friend in the factory and I will, if they need help, I will help them. I'll do whatever I can, but I still have my outside life um, as far as boundaries go. But yeah, I, I try and try and work. I try and be equal with my guys. I don't, I will have lunch with them. I'll sit outside with them, have lunch. Um, I'll have coffee with them. I'll buy them coffees. I, I try and just be on a level playing field. Mm. I don't look at them like they're lower than me. Yeah. And that's, I think that's how I get the best out of them. And, you know, if we have times where, if you know what it's like, you're doing a job and you've got these tight schedules, that will dig deep for me if I need them to. That, um, because that they want to stay in the team and they, they want what's best for the business. Mm. Yeah. And that's because I, I treat them on a, a le- like the same level as myself. I don't, they respect you. That's right. They respect me. They I respect you. Yeah. And because you respect them. That's right. Yeah. So imagine you're talking to a cabinet maker. Mm. You're talking to a cabinet maker. I am. <laughs> and you just wanted to give a quick rundown of how your, what your business is, like how, how you run your business. Yep. So tradesman, apprentice, production, foreman, do you use removalists? Do you CNC? Do you, do you outsource CNC? Do you do CNC drawings in-house or shop drawings outsource? Yep. Do you, do you, you know, just, what is it? Just a quick little two-minute thing. We do our own shop drawings. Yeah. Do everything in-house. We have our own CNC. Mm-hmm. So we do all the CNC in-house, um, all the wood machining we do in-house. I have all the setups for wood machining as well. Jointers, planters, thicknesses. Yeah, thicknesses, stroke sanders, spin, uh, drum set, sanders, the works. Yeah. We do all that in house. Um, French polishing, I get done outside. Upholstery, I get done outside. I'll do a little bit of upholstery myself. Um, but I try and keep as much in house as I can. I don't re- like relying on outside people because I've been let down too many times in the past. So I try and keep everything in house if possible. What, so, what do you do the shop drawings yourself? Uh, myself or one of the one of the members of my team, yeah. I've trained okay. up quite a few of my guys to do it over the over the years. Yeah. And what program do you guys run? Cabmaster. That's very, very interesting. It's very hard to use. That is very, stuff very we do. interesting. Because <laughs> I, I ran Cabmaster for um for a couple of years. Yep. And um Yeah, I mean it was just I don't know. I know what you're saying. So so, so Okay, so let me guess how you do it. How, how you do it. Let, let me yep. guess how you do it. So you probably, I'm guessing. Okay, that's all right. Do you you rely heavily on a handover meeting with the architect, where you will like sketch out details and like you like you'll draw things out as well, like by hand or or like in SketchUp or something to a comp to along with the CADMaster drawings. Yeah, that's right. So we'll do CADMaster. We'll draw like the main carcasses and stuff, and then like all your cross sections mm-hmm. and everything. We'll do that on draft site. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, solid works draft site. We do all the cross sections on that, and then we actually put them on there. But now Cabmaster's actually got the call outs where you can actually draw. You can the, do line drawings now. That's right. Yeah. That's right, which has helped a lot. Um, so, so, the, so then the primary reason you use Cabmaster is because they have great service and it's great for CNC machining. 100%. It's great for cutting your cut because that's all you guys really cut, right? You, so cut on the, yeah. you guys don't cut veneer on the CNC or something. Well, sometimes we do. Sometimes. Yeah. It depends 
where the veneer is going. If it's for an internal carcass, yes. If we're doing like panel doors, sometimes we will because we can move them around on NROUTE. Yes. And mark NROUTE out. is a powerful program. That's yes. right. Yes. So we'll optimize it from Cabmaster to NROUTE. Then we can just move it around, do what we've got to do. We can add on little beads or molds, whatever we need to do. We do it all on NROUTE. So I've got all the, I've got all the cutters set up for my CNC where I can do different types of molds. Right. Yeah. Like on the edge. Uh, well, so, so yeah, I've got like a, oh. like a radius beads, point beads and stuff like that. If okay. I need to do like certain fluting. Um, yeah, so I do do a lot on NROUTE. It's pretty, it's pretty cool what you can do. We did this job on, on, on NROUTE. Um, I'm not sure if you saw it on our Instagram. It was these wall panels mm. and every wall, it was 12 mil MDF. Yeah. And every wall panel had 11,000 holes in it. <laughs> And you, you know how Cabmaster is still 32-bit, right? Yeah. So it would take it would take four hours to process one sheet. And there were 16 unique sheets across 28. Where to, some of them were to run twice. Yeah. And so I just had a, yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> processing all of those. Yeah. And it's so sensitive. It will crash at any little thing. Yeah. That was nuts. Um, we're getting far too technical now. <laughs> all right. Uh, so you guys uh, do your own drawings, you run your own CNC. Yep. Um, what kind of edge band did you guys run? Uh, BSE. Okay. We got a new BSE one probably a year and a half ago. Yeah. I don't know what model it is. It's fairly, it's a new one. It does, it does all the pre-milling. It does everything, so, the corner yeah. milling, it does everything, the corner rounding, pre-milling, the works, yeah. yeah. Had no problems with it, got nothing bad to say. I love yeah. it. So you love making the sideboard, the, that $15,000 sideboard, as we are saying. Yep. But I'm sure you also don't mind a white two-pack finger pool kitchen. Not you? at all. No. Because that's where you make money as well. That's right. But, yeah, you can make money on that, but the margins are so much smaller because so many people are doing it. But when it's a white two-pack kitchen in a job where there's a lot of other complicated stuff, mm -hmm. then you just charge accordingly. You, of course. you, you charge the same way. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I've got nothing against doing that type of mm -hmm. stuff. Like it's, it's bread and butter, you know, it makes us money. Um, I just don't want to do it every day. That, that's just me. Like I just don't want to do it all day every day yeah. because I just, I was getting bored of it. I've, I like getting creative with timber and that's what I grew up doing, which is why I wanted to get back into it. Um, yeah, I was I was getting bored. I really was, and I was getting to the point where I was just like, "Am I happy doing this?" So, do you have a do you have like a production manager or like admin, like a foreman or anything? I got a, yeah, I got a foreman, um, yeah. and so he does the shop. I've just he's doing shop drawings now, and he mm -hmm. runs a factory, and he's like foreman slash project manager. We're not that big. We've only got seven guys. So he's and he uh, manages all the guys downstairs, and he goes out to a lot of the installs and helps out on the installs and stuff. So he'll. He'll do like he'll do some shop drawings. Yep. He'll like run the floor a little bit. Yep. He'll, does he order materials and things like that? He does a little bit. I do more of that. You do more purchasing. Yeah, yeah. more purchasing. I do all the quotes. I do half the shop drawings. Yeah. Um, I've only just started let go, letting him do more shop drawings probably in the last year or so. I had another fellow working with us who left last year. He was doing shop drawings for me for maybe two years. Um, who I also trained up to do them. I've always tried to keep the shop drawings in-house because they know how we build things. They know the type of work that we do. Um, they know how to do all the cross-sections, like especially the detailed timber components. They know how we're going to build it and they know how to draw it. 
Whereas if I get it outsourced, um, they, they don't know the way we work. Because you know yourself, you're doing a shop drawing, you're building it on your computer. The shop drawing is a shop drawing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to supply that shop drawing. Yeah. To Which is why we do two sets of shop drawings. Yeah, you do one for the factory and one for the client. Exactly. Yeah. Because the client doesn't need to see little details or like, why is there 80, why is there 89 fillers floating around in the master <laughs> drawing? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, we, we all do the one big drawing, then we'll turn certain things off and then put, add little bits and pieces on. Yeah. Um, one for the client designers and then one for the boys downstairs. Yeah. And do you guys run any like scheduling software or project management software or anything? Or is it just just Trello? Yeah. We just use Trello and just Dropbox. Yeah. <laughs> so Dropbox for your file management. That's right. And yeah. Trello for like just tracking projects through just stages, just, yeah, just like is. the Kanban board stages. That's right. Each board each each job has a board. The boys can go on that board, have a look where what like at the drawings, where they're up to. Um, then they know where we're up to as well upstairs in the office for a certain job. If something needs to be ordered or if the boys are out on site, something's damaged, they can just put it onto that board and um, attach it to someone's name. Can you get this out in the factory? Or we're missing these hinges. You know, yeah. it's just for communication really because communication is key. And if we don't have something like that and one of the guys on site forgets to tell someone in the factory, next two weeks later we're done. So are they? So they're updating information into there as well. Yeah, and then they're talking over whatever text or email or whatever or inside Trello. Inside stuff. Trello, that's right. Yeah, is there a chat function inside tr tr Trello? You can. Or? You can actually at someone. Oh, you tag people. Yeah, tag yeah. people in it. And then we also have a WhatsApp group as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you're you're a project manager, obviously, yeah. in the business. And is your is your factory foreman slash project manager? Does he deal with clients as well? Or is it, or are you a little bit? Yeah, he does. He does. I, I, he's, I'm starting to take the step back now to let him. Like, I, I always, I always have the first initial meeting. I always yeah. have the first initial contact with clients, designers, builders. But as the job goes on, you know, I introduce him into it. He starts getting introduced into the emails. Yeah. Um, then he will start to slowly take over scheduling. Like, hey, can we? We're going to be on site. That's right. Hey, just That's right. making sure. You put that ramp up the front so we can bring yeah. cabinets in, you know. And, and stuff finishes, like because like, he's doing the shop drawings, he'll start contacting the designers about finishes, certain details. Um, then he yeah. just runs everything by me before he does anything. Do you guys have like an RFI management process, or is it just shit just flies around and you just note you just note it down or like in a document, or you just make sure you action it right away? Or yeah, I mean, I've looked plenty of times in the past to start getting a few processes involved like that. Problem is, it's not a problem. I, I was taught, I've kind of just started running the business after my dad. Dad was very old school, Italian. Um, and I've just kind of inherited his ways of doing things, I guess, on the fly. Mm. I, I am starting up an MBA in business next month because I would like to learn how to run the business better, to be more profitable mm. and to bring in more processes. Um, to, I guess, make things run more smoother. Where are you doing your, your MBA? Well, Australian Institute of Business. It's online. Okay. Yeah. I don't know anything about MBAs. I just, I just know that. Neither do I. I know that. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's not talk about MBAs. Then. I, I only know because I've been in the research the last couple of months. I just yeah. just decided I need, I need to grow and make the business run better. So do you want to grow the business? Because you said you're small. You only got seven people. Yep. Um, I would say for like high-end, really bespoke high-end work, that's um, probably like medium, 
probably a bit bigger than medium almost. Yeah. Because I say a lot of our colleagues are like two, three people that do like incredible shit. Mm. They're doing like two houses a year or something. Yeah. There's a lot of those guys, right? I don't really want to grow much bigger than mm. what I am. Maybe there's probably maybe one or two more guys if I was going to, but my biggest fear is, like you just said, if I get bigger doing this high end bespoke stuff, I'm going to lose the quality control. Because right now you are over everything. Not not just me, my foreman as well. Yeah, you you're you're across everything. Yeah, I'm across everything. He's as well. He, he's he's bloody brilliant at what he does. Mm. Um, he's got he does the quality control with me. Um, but I think if we start getting bigger, it's it's going to be harder to stay on top of all that and trying to find the right guys who can quality control with us. I mean. It, it's hard to find guys at the moment. It really, really is to find what we do, to who like what we do, who've got the patience for what we do, and who want to do it, and who have the eye for it. So, I mean, growing bigger, yeah, it's, it, it plays in my mind. I'm 50-50 about it, to be honest, I am. There are times where I want to grow bigger. I've got the capacity to do it. Like People are always throwing work at me. I'm always knocking it back. Um, so if I need to grow, I can, but it's just... Do I want to? Do I want the headaches? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. That's that's why I want to do this business course to see really where my head is at, and to help me um, learn more management skills to see if I can grow bigger. Conventional. So this this industry is very very old school, mm. right? Very old school. It's like the the level of technology and whatever. Yeah, with ANCs, whatever. Honestly, they're pretty simple. They're not all that. Yeah. The technology and whatever in this industry is very, very low. It's like stuck in the eighties. Yeah. So and and so is the thing. The thinking is is also still quite traditional, in my opinion. Right? Agreed. So, are we limiting ourselves with these beliefs, such as, or just name some common beliefs? You have to set everything up because, oh, <laughs> um, uh, no, you have to. If you grow too big, you can't control it. You need control. You need to keep everything in house. Um, oh, sub subcontract installers, it just doesn't work. Yep. Just it just does it just doesn't work. Yep. Um, oh, it's so hard to find tradesmen. <laughs> That's the <laughs> it's uh, tradesmen. Are, oh, they just it's so hard to find. And when you get them, they just they want so much money. And it's there's all these. Yeah. There's all these beliefs, right? So I, I'm very curious about this idea of like, are, are we just are we just fully fully limiting ourselves with these beliefs? Uh, look, I think some some parts of the industry, yes, but some parts of the industry, it's valid. Um, once again, depending, they're on all valid to some to some yeah. degree. I mean, I, I, I last year I was advertising for a tradesman. Um, I had a couple of guys come in that have only been doing it for two or three years. They've come in from overseas, started off as a labourer at a big company, but guys, a company that got 100 people on the floor and they're assembling boxes all day, every day, and they go and install these boxes. Now, these guys come to me demanding top dollar, but my apprentice can do more than them because they've never touched a piece of timber in their life. They don't know how to sharpen a chisel. They don't even know how to use a chisel because they're doing screen boxes together. So. Yes, they're a good tradesman of what they do, but for what I need or want, it's, it's no good for me because I've got to train them up from the bottom. 
So I, I cannot afford to play these guys. That's a belief. You cannot afford to pay these guys to train them up. But let's let, let's explore that. Okay. okay. Yeah. So what percent? Don't share anything you don't want to share. That's cool. What percentage of cost of labor makes up revenue? Twenty percent. Yeah. Twenty percent. So how much is a trade? Let's just guys fucking arbitrary numbers. All right. Yep. Let's say a great tradesman will cost you ninety grand a year. Yep. And you need to spend, and they all they've done is screwing boxes together. Great culture, great attitude. Yep. You need to train them for three months before they can do eighty percent of what you guys do. Yep. Is that fair? Three months. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It depends okay. on their learning capacity. Yeah. So let's say so, three months. So for six months, yep, they're operating at fifty percent capacity. Yep. So you've spent fifty percent of. Half a year's wages. So you spent twenty five percent of a year's wages to train someone up, mm-hmm. and that so and that tra- that translates to, um, depending on how many guys you have, yeah, less than five percent increase in your overall cost of production. There's your tradesman. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just I'm just saying if if cost of labor is twenty percent of your revenue, mm. we're all saying labor is so expensive. Labor is so expensive, but is it? I think for me, it's probably more because my guys do spend a lot more time. I mean, I sure I don't, I don't work on numbers because the, the, every piece we do is so unique. They take the time to build it. So, um, but I'm saying, like, you look at your profit and loss yeah. at, at the end of the year. Yep. Cost of goods. Yep. Gross margin, overheads, cost yep. of labor, mm. and I think, I think people wind up. How much labor actually costs as a proportion of the business? Yeah, that than it actually is. Yeah, that, that that's just that's the belief that I would like people to sort of tackle and think about a little bit. Just it's just fact. Maybe ma- maybe you're, I, you're I, saying I it know. to me. My brain's just ticking over now I'm, because it's like <laughs> yeah, it's like all right. Oh, labor's so expensive. Employing all your tradesmen. At fifty dollars an hour on wages, holy shit, that's fucking nuts. Yep, that'll cost you an extra two hundred grand a year. Yep, not a lot of money. Two hundred grand a year is a lot of money, but you got the best tradesmen in the business. Yep, and you and, and your capacity just increased thirty five percent at least. <sighs> Everyone's fucking complaining. Everyone's just. I say that with respect. No, 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 no. And, and and I complain as well. Yeah, but I think we can do a lot better job holding ourselves accountable. And actually thinking about what the what the actual problems are. Yep. No, you're right. You are right. I just um, it, it it hurts. It's I don't know if it hurts. It's just hard to get my head around sometimes. Um, it is. It, it is. is. It, I know, it, it baffles it, me. It, eh? <laughs> but you're, what you're saying is right. It it, it is hard, and it yeah. sounds like I'm good with numbers, but I've rehearsed these because I've because <laughs> I, 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 I've been thinking about this. Yeah. I suck at numbers. Yep. I suck at numbers. Me too. I've, I'm a culture person. I, yep. I love. I just love building relationships with people. Yep. You know. So I've I've forced myself to look at numbers recently, and I've just thought it's not doom and it's not all that doom and gloom. I, yeah, you're right. It's not doom and gloom. It's just um. Yeah, I know. That's I'm trying to work out what I'm trying to say. And, and but I think this only really applies to guys doing like higher end stuff. Yeah, because our cost of goods is so high. It's, but it's also the time. There's yeah. so much, like it takes so much longer to build and work on something because it's so, all the detail involved and 
the guys are double, triple checking everything, every single little detail, make sure everything's perfect, sanding every little bit. So how do you even schedule? Do you do you just roughly know how much dollar amount of work you can pump out a month? Is that roughly? Yeah, so I'll, I'll look at, well, basically I'll look at a job, I'll look at each piece and I'll say this should take this long, like building a door, building the carcass, sanding yeah. it up. And then I guess it's just come from experience. I've lost a lot of jobs, as in lost money because I've underquoted, but I've also won a lot as well. Yeah. Like everyone does. It just comes from experience for me. It's 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 a lot easier to obviously schedule for when I'm just doing like commercial a commercial fit out. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to schedule. It's the materials, the boxes, everything. It's so much easier compared to if I'm doing like a crazy mahogany study with all this detail on it. Like I'm just taking a stab in the dark sometimes. Of course. It's because like Because if you went out and got quotes for everything or really tried to work everything out, yeah. It you you'd get out three quotes a year. That's right. There's so many hidden costs. Yeah. And so, and that that's where people say, "Oh, your labor's not that much," but it's like if I've got a guy spending two weeks on that fifteen thousand dollars sideboard, you know, building it, then materials, there's my fifteen grand gone. Mm. Yeah, once you factor in his hourly rate, super factory overheads, factory overheads, all that yeah. stuff. Where's the where's the joy at the end of it? There isn't. If you look at it in that in that way. So, so what you do is essentially what, when you're scheduling a job, you just look at every component, how many how many hours it's it, you're you're going to allow for it, yes, and then look at capacity for that. That's right for that month or that week. Or That's right. Yeah. Whatever. Yep. And do you find that you're pretty accurate in the factory, but not so much on not as accurate on site? Yep, definitely, <clears throat> definitely on site is and where my you, are. Yeah, you don't make money on site. No. You 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 collect money on site. Yeah, I collect money on site. But it, I if if and, I and you if, deliver client experience on site. That's right. You, if I if I money. lose on if I lose like money on a job, it's definitely from site. Things taking too long, details being changed, discussions on site with the builder with designers about should this go there, should that be there, where should this go? That's definitely where I'm learning to charge more for my installs now, charging more for my. Um, site meetings because we do lose so much time discussing things on site especially with all the other trades sparky's coming up to us plumbers coming up to us what about this should we do that all different trades it's like yeah it's sometimes on a job obviously because the joinery is the first thing you see and everyone's got to work around it we're basically half the time managing the other trades so then what that points to is how important is it having a good client like the qual- how much does the quality of client affect your experience sort of as a cabinet maker? What, when I'm doing these big jobs, I don't deal with the client. Uh, and so I, the client is in the builder, as in yeah. like oh, as in the, the, who, like your direct client, who's the builder. Yeah, builder and the designers. Like yeah, having a site supervisor who knows how to build, for example, mm. versus one who doesn't. Oh, it's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mate, it's it's. I've done jobs before where the builder's just on top of everything. Everything's perfectly square, knows every in and out of every bit, bits and pieces. It's amazing. And they'll say, hey, have you thought about this? And you're like, oh, shit, I oh, actually haven't. Yeah. The ideas they throw, it's awesome. And they're just such a joy to work with. Yeah. Whereas then you've got your other, like you said, the other end of the scale where yeah. guys got no idea and it just costs you so much money because you're fixing all these fuck-ups. Or you're hiding shit that they haven't done properly. Oh, you can just hide it with the joinery. Or you can hide it with the joinery. Mm. So hang on, mate. Describe it into that 10 mil shadow. That's what I mean. <laughs> what about this? How we oh just 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 cover it. Mate, come on. Mm. 
I'd sound like a diva sometimes, but it's just yeah. Um, and that's look, that's fair. Like we're just talking, like we're just talking shit, having fun. Yeah. But uh, we also should hold ourselves more accountable. You know, I think, I think you know, bosses love complaining about employees, complaining about bosses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's just, it's just it's, yeah, yeah it's just the way it goes. Yeah, it is. So I, I'm happy, man. I've got I've got a good bunch. I've got a good team. I've got yeah. a bunch of employees. I like without them, this work doesn't happen. Yeah, it's true. Like it just does not happen. Yeah. So I I can't complain at times. I'm sure they complain about me, but yeah. it's, but it's you know a small business is like a small family. That's right. A small business is like a family. It's right. Like, every, some everyone's going to pick up each other's slack. Yeah, everyone's going to. If you don't take the bins out. He's gonna take the bins out. That's right. right. It's it's really just that simple. Yeah. So what do you so what are you trying to achieve from your MBA? So you want to learn, sort of develop that thinking about how to make the business more profitable, more efficient, and what whatnot. And like, is that just out of wanting to improve? Obviously, there's a financial gain. There's a potential for making more money as well. Yeah. But is it just trying to sort of better yourself in the business? Or? Yeah. Just better myself, help myself grow, learn better leadership skills. Learn how to manage the team better. Learn how to set up more processes to make everything run smoother in the factory to make the business more profitable. Basically, that's that's why I want to do it to yeah. help myself and the business grow. So, how do you how do you feel about delegating the like some of those tasks that you do that you might feel like is really important that you control? Mm. How do you feel about sort of delegating that out? So that you can focus more on the client, for example, or focus more on quality control. Well, I've, it's in the last couple of years I've only started mm. having more trust in my guys to let to give them those tasks to do. It's taken me a long time to let go. Yeah, um, and that's why now, like my foreman now is so much more involved with the builder, designers, shop drawings. I'm letting him take a lot more control now. It's it's been hard for me to let go, but I've just learned that. I have to, and I like I've got, and I, I trust him. I think trust is a big thing. Whereas I, it's always, I've always struggled to trust someone else to do what I do. Would you say you're a perfectionist? Yes, in some ways, yeah. Some ways, I'm not. Some ways, yes, definitely, I'm a perfectionist. I mean, I can go down to the factory and I can look at something where they think it's fine. I'm like, that's not okay, mm. guys. Can we can we do it a little bit better? Can we fix that, please? And then they'll be like, oh, what about this? I'll say, no, no, just do it this way. And they'll do it. Um, but there's some things where I'm like, it's fine. But yeah, I, de- I definitely think I am a perfectionist in some ways. And I think that's being a perfectionist has got me where I am as well. Mm. Um, and that's also a part of my trust issues, passing on some of the work to my guys just to let go, to have faith at knowing that they're going to be able to do it the way that I want it done. But also they've shown me other ways to do things which are better than the way that I thought was right. Yeah. You know, they've come to me with their ideas and said, look, I think it's going to be better if we do it like this. But at first I'm like, oh, I don't know, my ego might get in the way or I'll just you know, letting go of my habits mm-hmm. and then I'll let them show me what they're thinking or, you know, put it into pra- practical use and it ends up being better. And I'll, I'll say to the guys, all right, let's mm-hmm. do it that way. And I'm, I'm doing that a lot more now. Yeah. I, I'm curious sort of um, how you're – dad felt about you transitioning the business what, what was that process like it was hard for him um 
like he's so proud of me for what I've done now and where I've got the business too. Like he's just yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very very proud mm-hmm. of me. But um, at the same time, we butted heads a lot. Like my dad and I used to fight a lot because he was so stuck in his ways, and I was bringing in all these new methods of doing things, new ways of working. And he used to fight with a lot of the guys on the floor, um, <laughs> like a lot of my teams. Well, I mean, I'll just I mean. People from that generation communicated in a certain way. That's right. They're yelling for us, you It's just their style of communication. That's right. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. Um, yeah did, did he look down on this idea of how can we move from building these beautiful furniture pieces to doing white melamine laundries? Did, did, no, he, was he wasn't. It, was there an issue with that? No, not at all. No, okay. he, he was just happy to see me making money and growing the business. So he was a practical man. He was a practical man. Yeah. He, he could never get his head around me doing shop drawings. Could never understand why I spent so much time drawing on computer. Like he just, he just could not get his head around that. He hated working with designers. Mm. So when I was younger, he's always like, if an interior designer walked into the factory or the showroom, he'd be like, turn him away. I don't want to work with him. <laughs> he was just totally against it. He always thought, because he's got to lower his uh, margin, you know, because the designers always want 20% off or something. Because he was doing furniture. But uh, it's not like that anymore, but that's how it was back then. You know, they'd come into him and say, oh, this is the retail price. We want it wholesale. He's like, well, no, no, no. It's, it's this price or no price at all. Mm. So that was his mentality, whereas my, I wanted to get in with designers because I wanted to be able to do the really cool shit. Mm. And then I, dad never had the patience to deal with them, whereas I, I see myself as quite a patient person. I've got the patient to deal with the designers because I'm grateful for the work that they're giving me. That was my mentality when I was younger. Yeah, I, I, I just, I really just think it comes down to communication style. Hundred percent. I, I think it's just getting off your high horse, dropping the ego, listening to what they got to say. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I talk to, you know, I like talking to people in our industry, um, and the old school guys who give me that kind of advice, you know. Like, and a, a lot of it's very valid mm. because I, I'm certainly at that stage in my career where I'm very nice. I like to please people. Yeah. I'm very agreeable in some ways. I'm the same. Um, you pay for it. Like, you pay for it, you know? Mm. Like, how many of those things on site that you've said yes to that are actually going to cost you 800 bucks more but is actually totally inconsequential to the client experience yep. but you say yes to in that moment because it's the easy thing to do? That's right. So I, that's why I said that say that their advice is valid in some ways because you you need to push back on on, on some of those things, mm. but uh, the old school way is can be pretty full on in that direction, mm. and um, yeah, and I and I, I just I just think look that's not authentic to who I am in the same way that you know for them to very eloquently or you know in a very sort of professional manner say something is, is sort of not in there yep their dna i think it's we just have to find that balance well that's where uh my foreman comes in his name's jacob by the way he comes in because he's polish <laughs> so <laughs> he's got that eastern european that's right that hothead so he kind of balances out my niceness on site not being able to say no where he'll just say no <laughs> so he, he kind of balances out a little bit where he says no in a nice way, but he will say to me, Dan, we can't do that. Well, you've got to charge for this. Whereas me being the nice guy, I'll be like, yeah, it's fine. We'll do it. Whereas he'll be like, no, 
I'm going to speak to Dan. And he'll be like, Dan, it's going to take me this long. You've got to put a variation before we do Dan, it. Dan, we cannot spare half a day to go there and fix three ha- handles. That's tomorrow, right. Next week. So he's kind of like, yeah, that's where we, we've got the good balance going on at the moment. Um, where he, he's got that Eastern European, and he's just like, nah, fuck that. We're not doing it. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're laughing at that. But if you study human psychology, yep. that kind of pulls them in. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's weird, isn't yeah. it? It's like if you're too nice, it's it sounds like this sounds like a dating show now. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, so you you're a DJ as well. Yeah. Yep. How'd that happen? Oh mate, when I start, um, I got into a lot of like house. Well, I guess happy hardcore Gabba music when I was a teenager from Amsterdam, Rotterdam type of stuff on vinyl. A couple of mates and I started DJing vinyl in, our, in the garage when we were like 14, 15, just mucking around. We used to go to underground raves, under 18s. Started clubbing as soon as I turned 18. I was really loved my house music. Um, never took DJing serious. I found, found it quite boring sometimes and then Maybe when I was about 22, 23, I started just doing a couple of little side gigs. I did a massive boat party that we throw down our way. Uh, it used to be called Pop Up Regatta, where you got like 100 boats all tied up. And one year we took DJ decks and I DJed and it was mad. And then after that, a cousin of mine had a club. He asked me to come DJ there. I DJ and it just blew up from there. I started doing the whole clubbing scene in Sydney. Um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. What's your stage name? It was Sesta, my last name. Um, had a manager for a while. Were, were you making money? Oh, I was making great money. Did you spend? Did you spend your money? I spent it all. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I, I bought a few toys. You know, I had quite a few motorbikes, a jet ski, a boat. I travelled a lot, hotels. I, I partied a lot, man. It wasn't healthy. Um, Is that why you look fifty? Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it, was, it wasn't that was like That wasn't even funny. I shouldn't have said that. You don't look 50. I know that. That's why I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then Red Bull. I had a friend of mine working at Red Bull in um, culture there, and he saw this boat party that we used to throw every year on Australia Day down our way in the, on Port Aking. He said, man, we've got to do a party, you know, with Red Bull. And I, he basically just gave me a budget. And I worked in with him with this budget, hired a massive barge, took the Red Bull cars. And was, the, was the number scary? What do you mean? Was it a good number, the budget that, it, that you got? Oh, it was, it was just 10 grand. Okay. So yeah. it wasn't like crazy. No, it wasn't crazy. So we hired a barge, got like a festival sound system on there, the Red Bull truck, and myself, him, and uh, another DJ all came out there. And this party was just raucous, man. It was pranking on the water. Like, there was 300 boats there, had an FM transmitter. All the boats are playing the same music. It was wild. Then after that, they just said, look, do you want to come and start playing for events for us at Red Bull? Yeah. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. And then um, I just started traveling around to like all the clubs that they supplied Red Bull. They'd put me on there to DJ. I'd drive the Red Bull truck around, going to like skate comps, surfing events, motocross, a- anything Red Bull related, I'd go and start DJing. So you're like a resident DJ for, I was, yeah, Red, for Bull Red Bull Australia. Australia. That's yeah. right. I was their touring DJ. It was cool, man. I did like the Red Bull X Fighters Cockatoo Island. Um, I went over to Bali. Like, I just they just sent me over like uni games. I'd send me down the snow for a week. I just snowboard all day, DJ every night. And, like, everything was paid for. It was sick. 
Yeah. And I met, like, I've always been into extreme sports. Um, so I, I met a lot of, like, athletes, a lot of guys that I've idolized, like Travis Pastrana from Nitro Circus. Like, I toured with them, DJed at the first Nitro Circus. Have, you, have you done any drawing packages for them since? For Red Bull? For, for, for like, for guys that you've met no. d- doing that No, because they're all based overseas. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, man, it was, it was a really cool experience. Like, I just, I did some stuff and met some cool people that, yeah, it's it's just it was just an amazing life. Like what I did with those guys is crazy. Yeah, and then when you turned twenty eight, thirty ish, you just you went into joinery. Or, or you I went, was already you went, doing you it. You went full on into. Yeah, I went full on. Um, I was still DJing a little bit on the side, just in bars and stuff for a bit of cash flow because I bought I bought a place and just wanted to help pay it off. And the business still wasn't doing that well. Wasn't really paying myself. So luckily, I had the DJing to pay myself a wage because I was trying to pick the business up. So at the start, of, did you have employees at the start as well or was it just your, yourself and just your dad? Just myself and my dad. Yeah. Then I got my first apprentice. So then I started myself, my dad and my apprentice. And then um, he, as he went in a couple of years, I got another apprentice, mm. trained him up. Then I got another apprentice. Um, then I got a tradesman. It just slowly built up. So I went from apprentice, apprentice, tradesman. And just, just yeah, slowly built up more and more and more. Bought a CNC. We moved factories. Um, I was starting to, that's when I started to get over doing just the whiteboard and stuff and then started reaching out to designers and then the main designer I work for now, Thomas Hamill, they were doing a job in Dover Heights, which is near Bondi. Um, I don't know the full story, but the project manager on that job saw my website and rang me and said, listen, my name's so-and-so, we're doing a job, something's happened with the joiner, they've had a falling out, are you interested in quoting it? I said, yeah, sure, I'll send it over. And I looked at the package, I was like, wow, this is gnarly. Like heaps of cool, like just timber detailed stuff throughout the whole house. Do, were you scared, or were you like, oh, "I've done all this shit," or, or like, <laughs> "Dad's done all this shit before he could come help me do this"? Oh no, I, I've done all that shit before myself. I looked at it because of the scale of it mm. and the the cost that it was. I'd never done a job that was worth so much. Can you tell me? Can you share how much it was? It was like three hundred fifty k. And at that time, can you just give some reference on like? how much revenue you were doing or like what kind of size jobs you were doing at that time? That was, so at the time, if I was doing a residential job, I was only really doing say maybe like 50 to 80K. Yeah. Um, a commercial fit out at that time, I was doing max maybe 100K. So when I'm seeing a figure of 350K yeah. on my quote, I'm like, <gasps> shit, you know, what am I getting myself into? Um, and they accepted it. They were happy. But then the crew at Thomas Hamill, because they're quite big, I think they've got like 30 staff. They had never heard of me before. So they were a bit like, oh, arming and arming, like we don't know who he is. So we organized the meeting. I took my dad with me, old school craftsman. He's still got his tool belt on yeah, and stuff. I like, like, that. Yeah. I like that. I had to bring my him My dad told me a lot too, man. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. So and my dad's got the wealth of knowledge that guy has. Like I'll, I'll never, like I'm still learning stuff from him to this day. You still call him? 100%, mm. 100%, you know. Um, I took him in with me and we basically just wooed them off their feet, did the job, job went very smoothly, minimal defects, and I'll blow so away. It went good. Went really good. What, what, did they push on program or is that a thing of, or is pushing on program a new thing? What do you mean pushing on the program? Like, were they pushing, were they, you know, like a construction program? Like, what, like did they want it really quickly or was it? No, they- it was, it was, I think it went over maybe like, it's probably about a year all up. Okay. Uh, so, so you did the package over a year. Yes, right. Shop, okay. shop drawings. 
That's good. They were happy with the way I did all my shop drawings because they were so detailed. So at that, were you already using CAD Master at that time? Yes. Yeah. So before you had a CNC or right when you before had Before I it? had a CNC. You were using the, the designer? Just the design one. And I actually did this first fit out for them without a CNC. That's interesting that you went out and got CAD Master at that time. Yeah. Man, I was green. I was doing, <laughs> you're going to laugh. I was doing my shop drawings on draft site and paint. Mm. That's not that's that's cool, man. That's just where I started. I did that's, that's beautiful. I knew nothing about shop drawings. I landed a commercial fit out job for my first big job when I was And they're like, Hey, when are you gonna submit your shop drawings? And I was like, What? And I started copying and pasting the architects ones, just drawing over the top of them. And they're like, What are you doing? I was like, I don't know. It worked <laughs> in the end. Um I had no idea, man. And I learned just from wow, builders okay. and stuff saying we need drawings, you need you need to submit how you're gonna build it. I was like, oh, okay. And that was when I think. So instead of saying, no, the fucking architecture, show me how to build it, you went out I, and you saw. I was happy to have work. Yeah. I was just a yes man because I, I, I was struggling for so long to get work. I just wanted the business to get on its feet. I was, I was going to do whatever I could and say yes to whoever I had to to grow the business. Yeah. I don't care. I didn't care what hours I had to put in or what I had to mm -hmm. do. I just had to make something happen. And so at, when, after you did the 350K job, mm. um, did you did you end up making money on it? Yeah, it I did. Was, it was good. It was good. And was it a good feeling? Like, was it a? Yeah, it was. Mate, just seeing the finished product. Um, yeah. It was just like, man, it was awesome. It was, yeah, it was. It was where I wanted to be, where I wanted to get to. Um, it was the work I wanted to do, and I'd been for five years pushing to try and get there. Um, I rebranded the business, set up a website, Instagram, the works, and it's just it all just fell into place. So after that happened, everything just fell into place. After that happened, we did that job. I did a couple of other small ones and they hit me up again for another massive house they had. Um, they, were, they split the house in two, the two different joiners. And um, they said, are you interested in doing it? I said, yeah, 100%. And I, I looked at the job and it was just, it was spectacular working it. And I, yeah, I, it was amazing. Then after that, I just started carrying on after that. Then I just started doing a lot of jobs for them. I'm still working from to this day. Yeah. Mm. So before you got your CNC, did you get cutting edge outsourced or were you doing it? Were you just cutting it all on the panel saw pretty much? Veneer we're doing on the panel saw, yeah. edging on the panel saw, melamine, some of it we're doing on the panel saw. Yeah. Um, depending on the size of the job. If I had like a full kitchen, I'd get it done outside. Yeah. Um, just depends how busy we were as well. So we'll drill, cut it all out, drill out the holes with the shelf supports, the hinges. We're doing everything by hand. I didn't know any different. I was still coming from furniture, yeah. just all I had was wood machines in my factory. Yeah. I invested in like an old secondhand shitty edge band for five grand. Yeah. Still cutting everything on the saw, getting breakout because the scriber wasn't set up properly on the melamine. Yeah. And yeah, yeah you know, I, just, I went through all that process, uh, learning how to get it right. Um, yeah. Do, do you think um, like for the kids out there who sort of think about, say, for example, what trade they want to get into, mm. does it make sense to do cabinet making this, these days? To yeah, get, get into cabinet making as a trade. 100%. I had this conversation. I was just at lunch. I had this conversation with uh, Kirsty from Thomas Hamill I was with. We were discussing how there's such a shortage of French polishers and upholsterers. We're going to talk about that, yeah. Yeah. And she was saying that she's got friends that have kids and the kids want to get into a trade. She's like, scrap the plumbing, scrap the sparky, get into upholstery or French polishing. There's such a demand for them. Like you, there's so much money in it because it's such a niche now. 
So the, the polishes I use down here are called Holton Furniture Polishes. Mm -hmm. um, they're rebranded specialized timber finishes. Mm -hmm. As um, Chris, the son, is taking over uh, Ray's business. And um, Ray's been doing this for 55 years now. Wow. Awesome. And he has taught me so much. Yeah. Little side note, he taught me this thing called a Danish soap finish. Like, like he's like, okay, you soap it, so you desaturate it. It's not a lime wash because you're not liming it. You're not like you're not bleaching it. It just desaturates the color. So when you put the clear back on, it looks like or close to like it, like you never put a sealer on it. Mm. Mate, that's one me, like so many jobs, just because like the arc they all want that that invisible look. That's right. With with, with your clear. Right? Yeah. Not just the gloss, like even the color. Because yeah. you know the clear saturates the timber. So he's taught me, so he knows so much and they charge good money for their service. Mm. But even that, and, and he's been a TAFE teacher for the longest time to like, try to bring guys up. He just finished up his last batch of kids and it was just only two kids in the class and the TAFE shut down the course. Terrible, man. And he's retiring and his son, Chris, is saying like, it's hard to, and from what they tell me, it's hard for them to pay someone. Like the, the economics of it, mm. The economics of a two-pack paint shop is a lot easier to make make sense 100%. than a French polishing shop. Yep. Because they do a lot of site work as well. Mm. So that's um yeah, that's an interesting one. Because you know, yes, cabinet so we were talking about whether yep. it's worth getting in cabinet making. But at the same time, how many, how many, what percentage of guys even doing high-end architectural are making 40 bucks an hour? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Sydney? Mate, that's going right. It's going right. Yeah. Because if we look at, let's say, as a, as a person who wants to have a family and a couple of kids, 40 bucks an hour isn't, isn't, is not enough, even for a single income family. Yeah. For a single income family. My cousin who's a plumber, he's in his second year, you know, he allegedly may or may not do some side gigs. He makes, you know, may or may not in a different country do some side gigs. <laughs> and he's making, you know, allegedly maybe 800 bucks cash a weekend. Yeah. In another universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, when I was an apprentice, as you, you as well, the money was shocking. I'm not a tradesman. Oh, okay. Sh shocker. Okay, sweet. <laughs> um, <no. laughs> I can't talk to you anymore. Mm. Um, no, but, um, yeah, the money was shocking. <laughs> On the um, next episode. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, cabinet making was always one of the lowest paid trades. Definitely. It always was. I mean, is it, is it still kind of one of the lower paid trades? Subbies in Sydney are getting 65 for 70 an hour now. More than chippies. On, on, on ABN, yeah. Yeah, mm. more than chippies. Mate, uh, and, the, and, and the best installers are charging 85, 95. I haven't had any charge me that much okay. before, but I know guys out there, they're charging 75 an okay. hour. It's, mate, it's great money. It's awesome money. There's, you know, plumbers and sparkies, they're not getting that as a subby. Okay. On the books now, um, yeah, 40 is pretty standard, 35 to 40. Some guys are on 50 if they're, you know, really, really good and know what they're doing. Um, I had a guy come in for an interview last year who wanted 70 an hour on the books. I, I didn't know what to say to him because I, I if, for me, coming up from such a low-paid um, industry, I was just like, what? 70 an hour? Like, that's, that's great money, did, but who did the he, fuck's going to pay that? Did he, um, 
did he seem like the kind of guy who would be able to produce enough? Like, did he seem like a gun or did he seem like a meticulous? He said he was a gun and he said he was really good at what he does. He spoke very highly of himself. I've heard he was good, um, but I also heard he can't work with other people. Uh, that's instant. right. That's right. If you're not a culture fit, that's you can right. get fucked. Yeah. You've got to be able to work. <laughs> if someone's working around your bench, you've got to be able to work with other people. Yeah. I don't care how good you are. And that was where, okay, yes, I mean, you can invest the money into him and he can produce some really good work for you. But if he's not working with the rest of the team, it's going to put up a lot of negativity among everyone. Then nothing's going to happen. You know, all they can do is fight, talk behind each other's backs. That shit's not cool. Yeah. So you st- you still think cabinet making is a worthwhile trade to get into for the young kids out there? Yeah, I do. Because the pay, one, is a shortage now. Mm. Guys are starting to get paid more. That's the thing, you know, it's, there's been a shortage, but the, I feel like the wages, do you feel like the wages have increased as sharply as there's been a shortage? Yes. Okay. Do you? Well, I, I've only had my business for two years. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm fresh in the game. Okay. Yeah. So the jump I've seen in the last 10 years is just mind blowing. Are we talking from like 22 to 40 or like 25 to 40 or like? Yeah. Like, like 30 yeah. Like I'd say. Like 30 to 40? Like if I had a tradesman start with me so even like six or seven years ago, hmm. I'd start him maybe like 27, 28 now. Now, if someone's going to start with me, you don't want to give them a trial. It's, it's going to be so like 30, 30 to 35 to 40 hmm. for a trial. You know, but someone decent, they're going to be sitting on 40 to 45, possibly 50. Are apprentices demanding above award wages? No. My mature age apprentices, I give above award. I do the same. Yeah. So you can't, even no. on mature wages, you can't live. That's right. It's, that's not cool, man. They've they got to yeah. live. Plus, I believe they learn quicker. They've got a little bit more initiative. You know, they know how to sweep. <laughs> you know, they just, they just use their brain a little bit more. They're just oh. good for cleaning the factory. Is that what you're saying? No, not at all because <laughs> they're easier to train. Call them out. <laughs> I mean, I've got an apprentice now. He's 28 and he's, he's, he's great. Like he's... Yeah. um. He studied, did a bit of uh, interior architecture, uni. I've got a same guy who's studied architecture. Yep. And he worked as a draft, as a as like a graduate architect for a year. Yep. And he just realized it wasn't for him. At the age of 29, he came to me. Yeah, yeah so this guy's on 28. Yeah. Worked at another drawing place before. Sa- same. Ha- hated it. <laughs> same. Yeah. Yeah. Saw my work and um. Yeah. But he's got an eye for detail. He knows his colors. Mm. Like. He's he's putting boxes together now. He's working with timbers. He's finishing. Um, he's he's great. So you guys do still do some some finishing, in, or, or you do a lot of finishing in house. Yeah, we just finished a house um, down south where the whole house, everything was wire brushed. Yeah. So what would happen was we got all the Tazio veneer boards in. We would wire brush the twenty four by twelve sheet as one big sheet. Um, cut it on the CNC, edge it, apply the paint finish to it. Then we scuffed the paint back to bring the grain through for the color that we wanted. Then we put- so you, you'd spray you'd spray on it. What's what paint would you like? A we're using or? just a Dulux water based paint. Okay, yeah. Because the finish that they wanted, they showed me the finishes. It was very rustic. Mm-hmm. So I knew I, I wanted to keep it in house. Mm-hmm. So I thought I made up looked at a different couple of ways I could do this finish. I wanted to do it the, the quickest I could. I had two of my apprentices doing the whole house, the finishing, because it was such an easy process. 
So you just spray it on. No, what, do you put it on with a roller? Uh, roll it on and wipe it off? Or? No, no, let, let it dry a bit. Got some sandpaper, just scuffed it back. So the grain okay. came through a little bit. Then we've got a uh, floorboard finish, boner. Yeah. Extra mat. Um, put that over the top, raise the grain a little bit more, gave that nice, flat, clear finish. It looks yeah. sick. We did that throughout the whole house. Yeah. It sounds almost like a hand painted look, almost. almost. I'll show you. Yeah. It was cool. It was a really cool finish. Um, it it complemented well with all the metal work you, that you they guys, had. You guys don't do any two pack um, in house, do you? Not in house. No, no, no. no. I, I don't have a spray booth. Have you worked with this, this MDF product called Valcromat before? It's like black all the way through or green all the way through or yellow all the way through. Is it like that plastic stuff? No, it's MDF. It's, it's not the PVC stuff. Okay. Ah, oh, like a clear. Yeah. And all the edges are all fucked up and it's all- Yeah. It's it, 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 it a good look. way, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting one too where they're using all um, recycled French oak. Yep. Floorboards or some shit. Mm -hmm. What's that stone? It's like a leather finished granite or something. Yeah, pretty cool. Do you guys contract stone at all? You or just yeah. leave it? No, so no. You've got stone masons that, that you're. Yeah, I've got a couple of stone masons. I've got um, a couple of guys in Sydney. I've got one that I use just for my engineered stone, and I've got one that we use for the granite marbles yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. What about yourself? My dad runs a stone shop. And that shit. Yeah. So he he's got a cabinet shop as well. Yeah. They do more volume. Um, he's got like two CNCs, two edges, return feeds. Like they just chomp out. Yeah, yeah massive. Just make cabinets. Yeah. Um, and he's got a stone shop. His awesome. stone shop is, um, they're very good. Like they've got five axis water jet. It, it's a hybrid water jet with a bridge saw as well. And they've got like a five axis bridge saw, flatbed, um, router, all that stuff. So they'll yeah. they make, they'll do it. And uh, it 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 does help me win packages. I will be honest. Oh, because for builders, it's like. The stone is, in terms of the dollar amount, it's actually quite small mm. compared to the joinery. It's just another thing they've got to worry about. It it is, and yeah. it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of time to administer that project, to administer that part of the contract, mm. and shit goes wrong all the time. Yep. Like cabinet makers fighting with stonemasons, like <laughs> who's doing the support for this, yeah. who's supporting this overhang, who's doing the substrate for that, like. You have it all in house. Like we don't make money on the stone, but it helps us win the job, and it saves us fighting with. Um, you know, we keep it in the family. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That's good, man. Good <laughs> so that's you. that's helpful. Do you contract metalworks? And yes, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, I feel the same, man. <laughs> Mate, let me tell you, I got I've got two different stainless guys. Yeah. I've got an, a guy who just does aluminium welding because let's use aluminium instead of steel when we can. Yeah, of course. So we've got mild steel. We've got different powder coaters. We've got we've got a We've got the the ultimate, the ultimate highly skilled artisan guy to do like the crazy witchcraft blackening stuff, the patinas and stuff. And yep. you, you just need there's no there's no boba of metalworking. Mm. There's no like centralized shop that can just do like I'm sure there is, but like I'm not sure what you. I've been lucky enough to find a guy who I found him six months ago through Thomas Hamill. They put me in touch with him because. All the other jobs I've had over the last five years, I've had not problems with metal. It's just it's always the metal that delays my job. Oh my god! Yeah. So I mean, I can see you feel my pain, and I'm so, sure some guy said he was going to call me back ten minutes, and he didn't call me back. Yeah, it's and just I'm waiting on these mesh doors. Every time I get a job, I ring the builder. I do want to include the metal. I'm hoping they say no. 
because I just like, I'm just, I put in my contract. It's always the metal that holds up my job. Mm. Every job I do, polished nickel, brass, like anything, it's always the metal. And I, I and now I've, I found a guy now who has worked for Thomas for 20, 25 years and he basically puts his work first. So um, I've developed quite a good relationship with him now. It's, it's, it's awesome. I go to him with the work, just knocks it up. Yeah. So maybe fabrications are an even better trade to get into than um, cabinet making. There's a couple of joinery shops in Sydney. I know they, they've got their cabinetry side and their, their metal. They're all doing metal inside. As well. I mean, a lot of shop fitting places do that, yeah. right? It's not a bad idea if you've got the room. I mean, if I had the room, it's something I'd definitely do. Moving factories is easy, man. It's not that easy. <laughs> if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. So wh- whereabouts is your factory in Sydney? In Botany, which is next to the airport. Okay. Mm. So I'm like 15 minutes from the CBD. Really? 15, 20 minutes from the eastern suburbs where most of my work is. So it's very close. Yeah. I, I don't know where anywhere in Sydney. That's cool. So that's… So eastern suburbs is probably like uh, you got the Double Bay, Bellevue Hill and stuff, which is probably just like Brighton where I just yeah. came from. Um, it's where all the big, big houses are, yeah. high-end houses. And then the CBD, um, I mean, there's a lot of work in there. Like, do, do you do a few apartments and penthouses and stuff? Yeah, yeah. that's right. They're all in the CBD. Um, and down Cronulla Way, it's maybe 20 minutes, half hour from our factory as well. Right. A lot of houses down there. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking at potentially moving factories soon and yep. I don't want to move further, you know. There's all the jobs, all the works around here. That's right. When I moved, I moved factories four years ago. Mm. I moved 500 meters up the road. Mm. Yeah, like we're like sort of 20 minutes away from everything as well. Yeah, which is really handy. That's right. Like maybe 40 in heavy traffic, but um, I don't want to move down. But the rents, the, the rents cheaper. The rents cheaper, but then you guys are spending more time on mm. road going to site. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. Is like I can move out west, save thousand bucks a month. It's cheaper, month. but it's not that much cheaper. I have noticed that. Yeah. That like the, the rate per square meter isn't actually that much. That's what I mean. It's, it's like you might save a thousand like, bucks a month. It's not like residential yeah. housing. Yeah. That's right. You save a thousand bucks a month, but then you got three guys on the road spending an extra hour, hour and a half on the road every day, and you're paying all three of them. Mm. Yes, you're charging for it, but you know, you do sums. Can I throw an idea out? Yeah, go for it. And it's another one of them do the sum do your sums ideas. Yeah. Um so the way I went to hire people was I made this recruitment video. Um, I've seen some videos; they're cool. You saw, have you seen the recruitment one? No. Okay, so it was a recruitment video that was like, "These are our, this is our culture; these are our values. If you want to work with us, you should get in touch." Yeah. And I originally I was like, "I'm not going to put this on seek. Seek can suck it. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah, whatever." Because, but I, I made a judgment on that. So I just ran Instagram ads. I didn't get that many. Like it was cool, but then I put it on seek, and I think because I had the video there. It, really stood out yeah right and then i got like a hundred applications in like two weeks oh shit but you should do that i have no idea how to make a video no well i hired people <laughs> i spent this is how i did the maths yeah this is why i said crunch numbers yeah i spent three thousand dollars making that video yep i i even contacted some recruitment agencies so i was like what do you guys charge to find someone and they're like oh yeah like 15 percent of their first year's That's salary true. yeah i know I'm like, I'm gonna. I can either pay it that much money to do that. I want. I'll spend half of it, a quarter of it on the video, a quarter of it running ads, mm-hmm. 
I'm going to come across a lot better. The message is going to be a lot better. Mm-hmm. It's also going to help me build brand mm-hmm. sort of with, with your clients and your, you know, your, your company's brand. And it's got, it's got a higher chance of me finding those people who are passionate. Yes. And I'm not doing it in a headhunting kind of way. Yeah. So it's good for the, for the culture and my relationships with my colleagues. Plus you'll get a lot more guys sending through their resumes, like you said, whereas if you go through an agency, mm. being the three, one or two and, guys. And higher qu- high quality as well, That's probably. Right. Because it's guys who have been inspired by. They so, they want to work there. Yeah. So I don't know why why wouldn't I've said this idea to several people who would be amazing candidates for like to, but I when I made that video I didn't even have a factory. Mm. I didn't even I didn't even have a factory. What were you doing? So my dad would cut everything for me on his CNC. Yep. They'd put the boxes together, mm-hmm. but they don't have skilled labour to. You know, it was a nightmare. Yeah. So then we'd deliver it on site and do a lot of it on site. Okay. I mean, these guys were one of my first clients. I'm still working for them. So yeah. it, it worked. Yep. But it didn't really, really work. So I didn't even have a factory at the time. So imagine you, with all your experience, mm. get Daddy Sester on the video as well. Mm. That's, a, that, that's a slam dunk Hollywood hit in, in, in the world of joinery recruiting. Yeah, you're right. Like people say it's so hard. It's... So, like I'm just think, on that computer savvy. Like, no, no, it's you hire videographers yeah. to do it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like just, like you know how to DJ, so you'll DJ at a party. But like if you don't know how to DJ at a party, you'd hire a DJ to DJ at the party. Yeah, it's the same. <laughs> it's, it's it's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. You're busting out facts today, man. It's awesome. So I, that's what <laughs> I can I can go up with. I'm sh- you know videographers. You you work in the creative field. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You know, it's like, a it's a fucking sick idea. Are you just saying that because you're on the podcast? No, I actually really like it because I need to do something to get the right people. But it's easy. In my like, door. You literally just like how much a videographer is an hour? Like 150 bucks an hour to shoot, for example. Did you give them the content or did they? No, help? no. They sh- I got them to shoot it. I gave them some. Yep. But I got them to shoot it as well as. I, I, I gave them creative direction as well. Okay. I said just this is what we're trying to achieve. Yep. This is the concept of, you know, we just, we, we want to find people who align with our culture. Bruce Lee said, be water, as in like go with the flow. Like mm-hmm. don't fight things. Mm-hmm. Like try to like create a funnel. Funnel is such a shit word because people would Do you talk- like Bruce Lee? People, I, I don't know much about it. Oh my <laughs> Lord. He's got a Bruce Lee tattoo on his fucking- Did he say be water? Is that what he said? Yeah. Okay. So which is- Be like water. How I interpret that is like, why fight things when you can, you can flow That's with right. things? Mm. So create a, a funnel or, or like a conduit where people who fuck with you will come to you. Yep. As opposed to like screaming in the crowd, you, you, you funnel those in. Yep. Stand out from the crowd. Yeah. You, mm. And so you, you know, you're like being the water bender, you know, mm. like yeah. you, you, you're, flo- you're letting it, you're going with the flow. Yep. Like, why not do that? Like, yeah. we, we so, so often we run at things head on, like, Ah, fucking, you know, like, but it's not necessarily the. So that's it. I like it. I'm actually, yeah, thanks for your time today. I think we should end it there. Was there anything you wanted to talk about? Anything else? <laughs> Is that just the mic drop? <laughs> I mean, that, that selfishly, yes, but I want to ask, I want to ask you, and don't fuck this up for me, but do you want to talk about anything else? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, no, I mean, you've, you've said a lot of stuff to me today. It's going to get me thinking when mm-hmm. I go home. Um, Put a few things in perspective for me. It's going to help me 
I just yeah, just look at things in a different way. Like you, you've, I'm definitely going to rewatch this when you send it to me because some of the stuff you've said today has just made my head just go. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. I'm actually really happy that uh, you said some of the stuff you did. Okay, and um, so after you do MBA, you can tell me whether this was more helpful or your, or your MBA. <laughs> no, but you know, you're you're young, fresh. You've been doing this for two years. You're coming in it with a different, t- totally different mindset. Yeah. Um, I guess the same as me going into my dad with a different mindset. You, you're, you're saying this stuff to me now, and I'm just like, fuck, you know, you're right. Like some of the shit you're saying to me, it's just like I've really got to look back I, at I, it. I respect what you're saying. Yeah. But you know what the really hard thing is? Is like, okay, I may be onto something. Yes. But how do I execute on it? Well, that's, that's the real hard part. But that's why you, you're asking people like myself as well. You've got these ideas. You're bringing them forward. Mm. So you're obviously trying to see what we think as well. Yeah. So you can execute it. I can execute it. Yeah. Um, oh. That's why what you're doing here, I think it's a good thing. It's, it's cool. There's enough. Nobody else is doing it. Oh, there's a few people. I In think. the joiner industry? I'm the only one, baby. That's what I mean. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's All what right. I'm saying, man. It's cool. All right. Thanks for your time. Let's end it there. Thanks, buddy.